Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Renovate. We all love to see a fixer-upper transformed into a dream home, right? So what needs renovation in your life, your family, career, a relationship? In this series, we'll explore the book of Nehemiah to discover God's blueprint for renovating your heart and house. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Happy 4th of July, Liquid Church. Let's make some noise. Praise God for Independence Day, amen, that we have religious freedom to worship together. Hey, it is one of God's great gifts to our nation. I'm Pastor Tim, and before we dive into God's Word today, I want to let you know about a couple important things. First off, next Sunday, I'm starting a brand new series called Mastermind. Change your thinking, change your life. And it's really all about the battlefield of your brain and how God's truth can conquer some of the lies and strongholds that we believe and really set you free. Have you ever felt like a couple of wires in your brain got crossed? You probably heard somebody say, hey, man, it's all in your head. But I'm asking, what if that's a good thing? That is what I've found is often we are prisoners to our thoughts, negative thoughts, toxic thoughts. It's those voices telling you, you know, to, to, you're going to have to worry about today. Things aren't going to go well. Or, or the voices are saying, you're not good enough. Or, or you can't ever change your behavior. The enemy is always talking to us, trying to intimidate us. And in this series, Mastermind, I'm going to shine a biblical spotlight on those strongholds that hold you down and really give you the tools you need to shatter them and break free. I really believe with God's truth, you can win the battle of your brain and become a mastermind, the person God designed you to be. Amen? I'm going to be preaching live next Sunday to kick off this new series, so invite a friend, your family. Don't miss it. Secondly, I want to let you know about new service times for this summer. It is summer now. You guys know this. And starting Sunday, July 18th, our new service times will be at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at our broadcast campus in Parsippany and 9.30 and 11.30 a.m at the rest of our campuses. So again, 9 and 11 in Morris County, 9, 30, 11, 30 at all of our campuses. Mark your calendar July 18th for our new summer service times. Now today you're in for a treat. We have a special guest speaker, my good friend, Pastor Stephen Francis. Uh, Stephen is a campus pastor at Valley Christian Church in New York. So he's an East Coast guy and he's a dynamic young man, uh, I believe, who he loves to teach. You'll see, build leaders and teams, raise up young adults to follow Christ with fresh zeal. Now, he and his wife, Jasmine, they've got an amazing little boy named Maddox. And I asked Stephen to come today to close out our current series on Nehemiah that we've been calling Renovate. I I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from him. So would you give a warm, liquid welcome to my friend, Pastor Stephen Francis. Come on out here, Stephen. Good to have you, my brother. So glad you're here, my man. Appreciate you, sir. Bring the word, my brother. Liquid Church, make some noise for Jesus one time in this place today. Awesome. So glad to be here with you, Liquid Church. Can we just give not just God a big hand, but can we just give a big hand to Pastor Tim and Pastor Kyra and all the incredible leaders and volunteers here at Liquid Church. Can we make some noise for them real quick in this place? Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely love what is happening here at Liquid Church. Like was said before, my name is Stephen Francis, and I come to you from the great state 
of New York. I don't come by myself. I come with my beautiful wife, Jasmine, and we have a wonderful son together named Maddox. I actually have a picture of the both of us here at a wedding that we had recently. My son is two going on 22, all right? We love him so much, but he can be too much sometimes, so we decided to keep him at home for this beautiful 4th of July Sunday. And listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not lying. I'm not saying this just because I'm up here on the stage. We love Liquid Church. We've been following you guys online for years. And to be here with you in person is a dream come true. And I believe that God is doing something supernatural here. I believe that what you guys are experiencing here is not normal. I'm telling you, something from the outside looking in. So I'm so excited to hear about the renovations that are happening, the new buildings and campuses that are coming your way. Truly, God's favor rests on this place. And all that work that is happening is such a connection to what happened in the book of Nehemiah, which is what you guys have been covering in this series called Renovate. This series has been looking at the life of Nehemiah and the lessons we can apply to our own lives. So many great things have happened. I got to say my favorite message was last week's where Pastor Tim talked about how we need to fight to the finish. And I needed to hear that. And I almost believe that this message is another part of that because what we read in that passage was how despite all the distractions and the things that were coming at Nehemiah, we also saw that he was able to fight through it and be able to fight to the finish and win in this area. Now, today I'm here to tell you what happens after they finish the wall. They were able to finish the wall and they did it in an amazing 52 days. It was truly astounding. And we see this in scripture because after they build the wall in 52 days, we see that over 40,000 Israelites return to Jerusalem and there is a massive celebration of the new wall being built. Listen, I want to actually give you a description of what happens here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And let me tell you ahead of time, let me warn you in advance. What you are about to witness is hands down the biggest, greatest Old Testament house party that ever happened. Nehemiah chapter 10 says this, Go and enjoy the choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. Give the food to the other people. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I want to stop here. I just want to stop for one moment. Put yourselves in the story. Allow yourself to see what is happening here. If you're at a popping block party, if you are at a place of celebration, what is choice food and drink to you. To me, if I'm at a great party, it is not great unless there are ribs available, unless there is some real good chicken wings, and there better be macaroni and cheese made by a black woman. That's right, I said it hits different. It hits different. Also, I believe sweet drink is not just an ice cold Coca-Cola, but it is a Chick-fil-A sweet tea. Truly, truly, truly the anointed drink from God given to man. But I don't want to just stop and just say, man, they were enjoying such great drink. But I also want you to see that it says here to the day of the holy, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
I'm sorry, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Does anybody here want some joy in their life today? Does anybody here need strength from God today? I'm here to tell you that joy from the Lord gives you strength today. And that's so incredible. That's something available to all of you today. But the story keeps going. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of the food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understand the words that have been made known to them. And what words are they talking about in this moment? We, we, we didn't read it, but what happened in the previous verses is that Ezra, the priest in Jerusalem, took seven days to read the Torah, which is the Jewish Bible, to the people in Jerusalem from daybreak until noon. Now, let me keep it real with you. I'm Pentecostal, okay? I grew up in church services that were always a short, four hours long. And if you ain't pack a snack, you was not going to make it at my church. But let me also tell you this, despite how long I've been in church services, that is a long church service. Daybreak until noon for seven days in a row. So I imagine that the people of God are excited, not just because they get to go home and sit down, but they are also excited because they have experienced the word of God taught to them. And now they're able to celebrate it with the new walls. I want to just take a moment to just let you really sink this in. This is a big moment for them. But we don't just see that, but we also see this in Nehemiah 12, starting at verse 40. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. In my mind, this is an opportunity for some choirs to be singing some Before I Let Go by Mays and Frankie Beverly. This is a time for the choirs to be singing some Earth, Wind and Fire. Let's groove tonight. Share the spice of life. Don't leave me up here hanging now. What do they say next? I don't, I, I don't know what they say next. It sounds good, though. That I know. That I know. Scripture keeps going. So did I together with half of the officials. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great, what, Liquid Church? They've given them great joy. The woman and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This was such an incredible party that neighboring cities were trying to call the police on them to shut it down. Church, do you see a word that keeps happening here? It's joy. And this is a spectacular celebration for the people of God. This is not some lame office party with some cheap pizza and some bad cake. This is a New Year's Eve in New York City, dancing in the streets, music blasting kind of party. And the joy and excitement that they are experiencing here is not just because the wall has finished, but it's because God has been so good to them and they are rededicating their lives to him in this moment. And if this were a movie, this would be the moment where the all live happily ever after and the credits roll and we just all feel good about ourselves. But that's Disney. And this right here is real life. And we assume that after this, uh, this party ends that Nehemiah goes home and he, and he finds peace, but we actually see that the story of Nehemiah kind of ends like an indie film which is usually an unexpected, weird, unhappy ending that stays with you for several days. See, Nehemiah eventually returned to his job in Persia, but after some years, he gets curious. What is going on in Jerusalem? And he's excited to see what all the people are doing in the city. So he goes back and he's still expecting them to be in high spirits. 
He assumed that there would be an epic worship service, that there'll be volunteers lining out the doors to serve, that people would be giving generously to the cause of God. But that's not what he finds. In fact, have you ever experienced a moment where you kind of had like a big expectation for something, but when you actually showed up, it was exactly the opposite? True story, me and my wife, uh, I love basketball. Me and my wife went to uh, San Francisco to watch a Warriors game. And the thing that I was most excited about wasn't the game, it was actually this great Airbnb that we purchased. But when we showed it to the Airbnb, we found out that not only was the Airbnb a scam and the pictures were fake, but also there were mice in the entire room. That is disgusting. But maybe you've had your own similar experience where you wanted to see one thing and saw the other. And this is exactly what happens to Nehemiah. We see this in chapter 13. It says this, sometime later, I asked his permission. This is uh, Nehemiah talking about King Artaxerxes. Here I learned about the evil thing Elisha had done providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and I threw all of Tobias household goods out of the room. Can we just, I just want to be clear with you real quick. If maybe this is your first time here, but if many of you here have been following this before, you know that Tobias is a familiar name. You know that Tobiah was actually one of the haters. He was one of the three stooges from hell that opposed Nehemiah building the wall. And not only does Nehemiah find out that Tobiah stuck around, but he's living in the temple. Like that's, a, a, that's like if I built, uh, renovated my own home and my neighbors were complaining about me renovating my own home. And when I went on vacation, I found out that one of those neighbors was living in my master bedroom while I was gone. He then says this. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and I said, why is the house of God, and everyone say this word with me, neglected. Nehemiah wants to know, why is the house neglected? Why has the people lost their passion? What happened here? What happens for you when you start out strong but lose your passion? Has anyone here ever lost their passion before? Maybe you're in a season right now where that passion is gone. Let's be real, the pandemic has messed us up. The pandemic has stolen our passion for life, for work, for family. The pandemic has definitely taken my patience away with people. And the big misconception is that oh, since there's a vaccine out and we can all get back to normal, that that means we're going to go back to normal. But that's not the case. I want to be honest. I lost my passion. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 15 years old. I'll never forget it. There was a girl in my high school that shared the gospel with me and my friends, and it changed the whole course of my life. It made such an impact that I got passionate about the gospel and wanted to see what happens when the gospel enters the lives of other people. And for years, I was passionate about sharing the gospel. But last year, during the pandemic, it vanished. And I'm not saying like my passion got low. I'm saying my passion was gone. 
The campus that I loved and pastored over closed its doors. And the best option for me to pastor those people still was for me to go online and try to encourage them through praying and reading of scripture. But I don't know if anybody else noticed this. Social media, especially during the pandemic, became a toxic dumpster fire. And I had so many people that I love say mean and nasty things to one another, things that I really hoped they would never say to another person in person. And it took me out. With all the difficulty, both personally and professionally, I eventually reached the point where I said, you know what? I'm done. I've lost my passion for wanting to help people. I've I've lost the passion to pursue God for myself. I started neglecting reading the Bible and even praying. One day I actually got so upset with all the things that were happening that I even threw my Apple Watch against the wall, which by the way, is very dumb. They are very expensive. Please do not do that. I realized that I lost my passion, but even more important, that I lost my zeal. What is zeal? Zeal is great energy in pursuit of a cause. It is tireless devotion. See, zeal isn't just passion where you feel some enthusiasm when you start something. Zeal is the will and energy to see it through to the end. And many of you have felt passion when you first came to faith. You were excited to come to church. You did everything available at church. You were at every service. You served in every way. You were in every group. But reality hit and your passion waned. And at some point you need zeal, tireless devotion to the cause. Listen to what the Bible says about zeal. It says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. It says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. See, zeal is commitment. Zeal is you making decisions that make you a spiritual warrior. It's tireless devotion to push through the hard times, the dry times, no matter what. Passion is important to start, but zeal is important to finish. So I wanna make a bold statement that I want you to remember. Passion neglects what zeal protects. Passion neglects what zeal protects. See, passion is about the heart for God. Zeal is about your strength for God. Passion raises its hands in service. Oh my goodness, is this Jaira? I love this song. Jesus, I love you so much. Yes, Lord. Zeal resists temptation when no one is looking. Praise, excuse me, passion chases spiritual goosebumps, but zeal chooses spiritual grit. Are you a goosebump Christian in here today? Are you just living life for the next passion, for the next moment to feel good? And when you feel good, then you can serve God? Because I got some news for you. God is looking for some gritty Christians. Well, whether you feel it or you don't, you are pursuing him and you want to glorify him with all you got. See, I'll be honest. I need more zeal in my life. I don't need more goosebumps. I need more grit. I believe we all do. We all need more grit. Many of us have been trying to live off the passion of a new sermon or a new worship song. 
trying to get from Sunday to Sunday. And unfortunately, despite our best efforts to gain new or more passion, we just end up right back to the same place we were trying to escape. We're just like the people of Jerusalem in this text. They had goosebumps after the wall had finished, but they lacked grit. See, as soon as the passion went, so did their commitment. And this is why I say passion neglects what zeal protects. See, Nehemiah himself, he wasn't just passionate, he was zealous for God and he shows us how to get our zeal back. So the first step is this, we need to contribute and not consume. And we see this in Nehemiah 13. I'm gonna turn back to there. Nehemiah 13 says this again, some time later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Elisha had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and I threw out all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Listen, when you got a petty betty in your house, you better tell them to get out. I gave orders to purify the rooms. And then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God, which the grain offerings and the incense. And, and I just want to stop because I don't want you to get lost on this. What's happening here is that the church was supposed to be a place where people can contribute and, and see the work of God happening. But instead, they were taking what was supposed to be for the people of God and, and, and for the work of God, and they were instead using it for themselves. The church, the temple in this place wasn't even being used as a place where God could be lifted up. It was used as an apartment building. But then it goes on and it says this. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. See, the Levites were the pastors and the, uh, the musicians were the worship team. And basically what happens here, they're basically like, listen, there's nothing for us here. So why even stay here? Let's just go get our own job somewhere else and let them figure it out. He then says, so I rebuked the officials and I asked them, and we read this before, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and I stationed them at their post. See, when Nehemiah left Jerusalem, he saw that the people were passionate about wanting to worship God and to contribute to the work of God. And he gets back and he sees that the temple, which should have been a priority, is now just people looking out for themselves. And we could be guilty of this when it comes to church because passion is what a new believer has when they show up. And like I said before, they get excited and they wanna serve in every group and, and, and be a part of everything that's happening at the church. But then eventually, you kind of neglect that. And when that passion fades, now it's no longer about what God is doing, but it's more of like, man, there better be some good music here. There better be some free coffee here. That preacher better make me laugh, which Pastor Tim does a great job at that, by the way. Passion starts off saying what I can do for God at church, but then it turns into what is the church even doing for me? Now, I want to be clear that church isn't a building. The church is people. And God works prolifically in and through people who are contributing to the body of Christ. He has blessed all of you with gifts and talents, but he doesn't just bless you with gifts and talents just so you can have gifts and talents. But he blesses you with gifts and talents so that you can contribute to the body of Christ through those gifts. 
God doesn't want consumer Christians. He wants people who contribute. If you're serving on a Sunday, it isn't just you helping with the need, but it is you becoming an active participant in expanding God's kingdom. Zealous people know that serving in children's ministry isn't just childcare, it's you raising up the next generation to be on fire for Jesus. The zealous roadies, shout out to all the roadies that are here right now and watching online who are doing such an incredible job waking up early to set up and tear down, sometimes in brutally cold temperatures. And because you know this, that you're not just setting up a bunch of chairs in a children's area, but that you are taking an ordinary space and setting it up so an extraordinary God can move in and through the lives of people. It's bigger than just a task to be done. It's a mission that needs to be fulfilled. And believe it or not, there are people in the community who will know Christ if you take time to step and serve first. But none of that is possible unless zealous people do it. So today, I want to ask, are you contributing to the cause of Christ? You know, there are people waiting to be blessed on the other side of your obedience. And maybe you spent too much time neglecting the importance of using your spiritual gifts that God has given you to bless others. And we can all blame the pandemic, but just because the pandemic happened doesn't mean that the plan and purpose of God's gifts for you also had to stop. Today, I wanna challenge you to get zealous and step up. We don't simply consume we contribute. The second thing is that being zealous means that we need to commit and not compromise. See, we see the people compromise their convictions in chapter 13. It says this, Nehemiah in those days saw men of Judah who were married from Ashdod Ammon and Moab. And I know these names don't make any sense to you. Let me tell you what they mean. These are pagan God cultures. And then it goes on and it says this, half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod for, or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Can we stop for a moment here? What is happening is that there are people in Jerusalem who have gotten into relationships with people with pagan gods and their children don't even speak the language of Jerusalem. They're speaking the language of the pagan gods, the gods that are completely opposed to what God stands for. So then he says this in verse 25, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Now let's stop for a moment. Let's talk about this. This probably should not be your life verse. This is not the best way to handle your problems. But still, I want you to take note of the righteous anger that Nehemiah has in this moment. Nehemiah was zealous for God and he went ballistic because he couldn't believe how someone who was so passionate for God and committed themselves to him would abandon him in this way. The Jewish people were intermarrying with people who worshiped other gods. In other words, they were compromising their faith and their core convictions. So Nehemiah gets angry. Jesus said, zeal for God's house will consume me. 
that's the same way it should be with us. See, zealous Christians commit. They don't compromise. Give you an example of this. I got married in 2015 to my wife, Jasmine. Isn't she gorgeous in this picture, by the way? The thing that makes me so sad, though, about this picture, despite how beautiful it is, is that I'll never be this skinny again. I felt so passionate about my wife that I decided that I wanted to be with her and only her. She is not a woman. She is the woman that I want to be with for the rest of my life. And that wedding day was one of the happiest moments. And after that wedding day, we went on a honeymoon and it, it was a honeymoon to Paris and we made incredible memories. But let's be real, that was over six years ago. The honeymoon phase is over. That's not bad, it's normal. And now our marriage consists of a lot of mortgage and bills and a toddler that's potty training. And by the way, nobody told me how hard that is. When passion fades, you'll start to neglect the relationship and begin entertaining compromise. And a compromised relationship is the decision to do something for yourself that takes away from your commitment. Passion is great for the first five years of your marriage, but zeal is what you need to be married 50 plus years to the same person. Zeal in a relationship makes it difficult for you to entertain the ideas of looking at things on the internet or flirting with that person when you think no one's looking. Zeal is what you need to be sure that you're not just working hard to provide for your family, but you are working hard to be present with them when you get home. Zeal is what I need when I find out that my son peed on the floor again and I have to clean it up. And I need zeal to protect my marriage because I want a marriage that is a, a joy to be in and encouragement to others around me. I want to be a parent that doesn't just exemplify godliness to his children, but there is someone that my children want to be around. I want a commitment to God that is infectious and compels other people to want that relationship for themselves. And what's important to understand, a compromised commitment brings more hurt on your life than the life of others than, than anything else. Many of you in here know the calamity of a compromised commitment in marriage. Many of you know the calamity of a compromised commitment by a spiritual leader and how that not only hurts you, but it hurts the community. It hurts generations even. How do we make sure that we don't make that be our story? Zeal. The best way to stop it and even turn it around is to have zeal protect these commitments. You need zeal because it's easy to stop serving God and start serving money, power, and sex. You need zeal because it's easy to prioritize Netflix over your devotion time. You need zeal because it's hard to uh, stop indulging in worldly pleasures because they make you feel better faster. But whatever you gain from a compromise cannot compare to the riches of a commitment. We need to be zeal about commitment time 
I have left. I just want to talk with you guys because maybe today you're someone in here that needs to start protecting their commitments. Maybe you've reached a place spiritually where you don't feel the presence of God or it's hard to trust him in the midst of all that you've been going through recently. So I want to tell you that even though it's hard, that with God, nothing is impossible. I know that because that's what happened to me. I just want to tell you real quick how I got the zeal back in my life after I lost my passion. First off, I need to be honest. I need to be honest with myself, with God, and with others. So what I did is I sat down, and I'm not really a journal person, but I needed to have it documented. I wrote down all the negative feelings that I had, and I put names on them so that when those feelings came up, I can call them out. And then with those feelings that I had, I gave it to God. And I spoke, pointing all of my issues to God. And I had some really difficult conversations. I had conversations where I said, God, I don't like you. God, I thought you were real, but you don't feel real. God, you said that you were good. And if you said that you were good, then why are all these bad things happening to me? And soon I was able to say, God, if you are who you are, then I need you to give zeal in my life. Because otherwise I won't get it. And I not only spoke with God, but I spoke with people. And this is why community is so great. And this is why I'm so grateful for the groups that are offered here at Liquid Church. Because I wouldn't be standing here preaching to you today if it wasn't for uh, members in my group, if it wasn't for mentors, if it wasn't for elders who I was able to be honest with and say, listen, I'm thinking of leaving my faith. I know I've been passionate about this since I'm 15, but I'm done. I don't buy this Christian stuff anymore. And how incredible it was that they were not only just able to hear me, but they were able to encourage me. They were able to testify of when they were in a similar place in their lives and how they got out. And then I also did something that's very unique. I fasted. And fasting is not something that is talked about too much nowadays, but it's the act of withholding something that is good. In fact, maybe even something that is necessary in order to say that God is a better yes. So I stopped eating certain foods for a whole month. One of those foods was pizza and liquid church. Let me tell you right now, I love pizza. But I said, God, even though food is important to me, I want to believe that you're even more important. That the same way I need food to survive physically, I need you to bring life to me spiritually. The third thing that I also did was I needed to get my eyes off of myself and I had to start looking for people with zeal. Because here's the thing, when we're going through difficult times, when we are suffering in life, it's very easy for you just to get closed-minded and just think about you and yours. But I needed to hear what God has done in the life of others. So in the middle of the pandemic, And this is true, I'm not lying to you. In the middle of the pandemic, where it wasn't safe to actually meet with different people, I started watching YouTube videos of people's testimonies. 
And I watched a video of a woman who had stage four cancer and served her church throughout the whole treatment. And I heard a miracle of how that same woman was supposed to get surgery for her cancer. And when she went to the doctor's office to have them look over her before they went into the, uh, the surgery room, they found out that the cancer was gone. I heard a story of a man that celebrated 20 years of sobriety, the first man in his family to overcome a cycle of alcoholism and how because of that incredible work, he is changing the course of his family. I heard about the incredible work of what God is doing in places like Africa and China and other parts of the world. And it reminded me again that God really can be this good. And all of this, not in a moment, but in time, has brought zeal back into my life. I have zeal for God again. I have zeal for the people of God. I have zeal to see more people discover God for themselves. So I wanna encourage you today with this verse that we already said before, Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I want to challenge you today to recapture your zeal. Recapture the zeal to contribute and not consume. Whether it be you serving again, whether it be you serving for the first time. Recapture the zeal to no longer compromise on your commitments. To be faithful to God and to the matters of God. And maybe you're in here, you're listening to me talk and you're like, listen, sir, I have never had zeal. Maybe you were passionate about God and the matters of God, but unfortunately that passion faded and you've neglected the pursuit. I want to encourage you with good news today that even if you have no passion for God, God always has zeal for you. God is zealous for you. God is so zealous that he came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus. And he exemplified what a zealous love for people looks like. And he was so zealous for you that he died on the cross for your sins. God died for you. That's zeal. And he will give you zeal himself. The zeal that I have today it's not just some self-manifested zeal, but the zeal I have today comes from the power of the Spirit of God that lives in me. That gave me the strength to get out of my pit and he can get you out of yours. So I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. I want to give you the opportunity to respond not to me, but to God. And if you believe God is speaking to you and that you need zeal in your life, I just want you to just say this with me right now. God I need you to grow zeal in me. I'll say it one more time. Say it one more time if you really mean it. And if you really mean it, God, I need you to grow zeal in me. I want to pray for you right now. Pray that that zeal that God speaks of will be the zeal that you experience today to get up out of whatever situations that you're in to step past passion and into zeal. Let me pray for you now. Jesus, you're so awesome. You're so incredible. You're so mighty. You're so powerful. 
The spirit of the living God is in this place, whether in this room or online. And we believe, Jesus, that you have zeal that you want to give each and every one of us. So Jesus, we come to you with open hearts and open minds and open arms and say, Jesus, give it to us. Let us receive the gift that you have for us. Let us receive the life and life abundantly that you offer. And let us live today, not anymore in the ashes of the passion that we once had, but getting up with the spiritual grit that gives us the strength to move forward and to love you and to love our families and to love the matters of you again. We thank you that you are always zealous for us. And through you, we can find the zeal to keep going. And we believe it, we receive it, and we thank you for it. In Christ's mighty, matchless, beautiful name we pray, amen and amen. Liquid Church, thank you so much. God bless you all. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.